0: Hello and you're very welcome to another episode of the IF TV podcast. Today's guest is none other than Newcastle Jets FC striker Roy O'Donovan, who comes on to tell Paul his story about his career so far from his early days playing Cork to moving to the UK, back home playing for Cork City, moving back across, being signed by his idol Roy Keane at Sunderland, and many other clubs after that. He goes on to tell his story in full detail. Make sure to check it out. Don't forget to like, subscribe and give it a five-star rating if you could, please. Here we go. Roy. How are you keeping over in Australia? Very good, Paul. Thanks for having me on. No problems. Um, so look, we, we said we get uh, players on and they're talking about their careers and stuff like that because obviously everyone's in isolation all around the world and it's something nice for people to look back on. So do you want to talk me through your earliest memories of football? Earliest
1: memories of football, back to my very young days, playing for uh, Leeds, my junior club back in Cork, uh under eight street leagues. Uh I always remember my team was uh, Tottenham Hotspur, so at that time, Jürgen Klinsmann was the big star, so I wanted to be Jürgen Klinsmann, score all the goals. And literally, I had the, I had the bug then from then, you know, playing with well, seven-a-side it was, had the bug, joined up Leeds, then under nines. And played, you know, your street league football into schoolboy football, and ah, look, there's nothing like schoolboy football, is it? Looking back at it, lobbing loving the keeper every week, you know, for about forty yards, they couldn't reach the crossbar, so
0: it was great. It's got plenty of goals. So I take it I was going to ask you who your who your football idol kind of was growing up. But it must be Klinsmann, was it? Well, he'd
1: be one of them. Anyone to score goals, really? But uh, I was a big Man United fan, so Eric Cantona would have been. A big, I would have been a big fan of Eric and, and obviously Roy Keane as well, being from Cork, captain of Man United and all that, Ireland. So, uh, yeah, he would have been a big idol of mine as well. And the Brazilian Ronaldo, anyway, to be honest with you, mate, anyone, yeah, unbelievable. anyone who scored goals, I was interested in. So,
0: It's mad because I, nearly every player I've had on that's Irish is kind of within, I suppose, uh, within the same kind of similar ages. Oh, Roy Keane, Roy Keane, even Jason Malumbi. Um, on on Friday, Roy Keane. Everyone says Roy Keane. I suppose that goes down to show what an influence he had. I mean, obviously the Premier League was huge, and you know, televised and stuff like that. But even players that he's uh, played with in the past, all having been Premier League teams of the uh, of all time and all this type of stuff. Like, it's mad. A lad from Cork in Ireland. Going on to have such a huge impact and probably going down as, if not the best one of the best midfielders in the Premier League era.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, I suppose it's a great story as well that he kind of he had missed the boat. He was 19 and he was playing for Cobramblers in in the League of Ireland, and you know he got a a chance to go to Nottingham Forest, and you know didn't he take it with both hands? He was obviously done great for Nottingham Forest, and then at the time he went to Man United, it was the highest transfer fee. And you know, by the time he finished that Man United, he was the captain. He had all these trophies and medals, and he was just like uh you know, like a kind of a rocky character. So it it is an inspirational kind of story as such as well, coming from such a you know a normal background in 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 Ireland. So uh, I think every, every, that resonates with everybody, you know.
0: Yeah, and especially yourself being from Cork is obviously a massive hero being a you know a Cork man yourself. Yeah, exactly, and and that's it as well. I mean, if a fella from around the corner can do it. It
1: gives you that hope and that drive to, you know, to want to play at the Premier League and want to, you know, do all these things and achieve the highest you can, you know. So if he can do it, why can't I? And I think Jason Malumbi and all the other people that he's had an influence on, you know, it's, it's fantastic. You hear a lot of rugby and gal players as well. I think he's got a, he's a little bit of a sports icon in Ireland as well. And I suppose that has a lot to do with the, the hype machine that is the Premier League, and when, it, especially at, at his pomp in, in the 90s, you know.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, look, uh, talk me through your, your schoolboy years because you were saying there but you kind of got up to under 10s and uh, so from kind of that point up until when you started getting noticed uh, and and on so your first pro contract. So I imagine that was kind of your early teenage years. Yeah, it's going back a few years now so I just try and rattle through show here
1: in my head. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so look, I, I, my most of my schoolboy football, I played for, for Leeds and uh, I was always a striker. I was always... The little kid, you know, small, but quick. So, uh, you know, I had to fight my corner a little bit. Um, but look, I scored, scored plenty of goals and I, I got my first trial. Um, Donny Buckley would have been involved with Leeds at the time. So he was a scout for Wolves. I went off to Wolves when I was 11, which was very exciting. Uh, Robbie Keane would have been kind of breaking through at the time there as well, kind of thing around that time when I was 11 or 12 and, uh, so that, look again, that in itself is inspirational as well. But I, I was going over and back there every summer and, and, um, and Easter for, for a few years. And then with the Cork team in the Kennedy Cup under 13, just kind of leading into that, I broke my, my ankle in the game. So that, that kind of set me back a little bit, to be fair. I, I got back and played in the Kennedy Cup, but it set me back with regards Wolves. So it kind of went from a situation where they were going to sign me. It was kind of nailed on, they were going to sign me to, They weren't sure so um yeah then kind of coventry kind of came in when i was 15 i went on one trial there uh it worked out i done well on the trial and they offered me three years as professional and a year as a yts but also there was another six seven lads coming over from ireland as well we were all going to live in digs so berlin was an opportunity for me to uh, kick out my football and you know make some new friends along the way as well but uh the only kind of drawback looking at it now, I was probably a bit young, fifteen, leaving home, leaving school, leaving your friends and family. It was it was difficult, you know, and, and homesickness, I know plenty of people have said it to you before. That was quite difficult. The first year or two, you're you're kind of going into professional football environment and it's um it's serious business and you're living in the digs, you're missing your parents, your friends, the normal thing. And even look, even stuff like coaching. I remember the first day. I turned up there, a 15-year-old kid, and they, they set me training the under-19s. Now, the under-19s had a good side. A lot of them went on to play first-team football and played, you know, for their country and in the Premier League and all that. But the coach uh, was a Scottish guy called George Mackey, and he was, uh, he was a tough guy to please. He was uh, from the kind of Gordon Strachan school of, you know, discipline. So we'd done this passenger, but i had never had real proper coaching back in Cork. It was... Kind of, you know, a lot of my football would have been played on, on the road, on the street. Uh, and when we went training with Leeds, we, we to be fair, we won all the schoolboy comps now and all the and we were in a couple of national uh, national cup finals up in Dublin against St. Joseph's, I think, and uh, a few other very good teams along the way. But never with proper just kinda of, we were just naturally good players and played instinctively off the cuff. But I went over and ended on this passing drill which involved about twelve people, you know, you pass it to this corn. Cross a hair. He runs around the back of you, crisscross, zigzags the whole lot. So I'm just trying to, trying to get my bearings a little bit, like, you know, and, uh, within about 30 seconds, this coach is literally in my face, abusing me. Like, what are you doing, man? You're ruining the whole session. It's like, instead of just kind of saying, like, step aside and kind of watch how it goes. It was just like, I learned the lesson straight away. Like, there's no, there was no messing around. Like, you kind of had to be on it. But, um,
0: yeah, that was that was a big learning curve early on. Was Robbie would Robbie have been at Coventry then when you were and obviously not breaking through then, but he would have signed after Wolves there.
1: Yeah, he I t- he had probably just left to go to Inter Milan, I think the the year before I went. So I think I I signed there 2001. I think he might have left maybe in the January previously. Um, but again, he he was only there a short time at Coventry as well, and he left, you know, a, a massive mark on that football club in, I think he only played 30-odd games for Coventry, but, uh, you know, they, they spoke very highly of him. Even then, when I, when I came, they were like, hopefully you'll be the next Irish superstar, like, you know. Yeah, they, well... Yeah, they, it, must... it well, they, they made out 12 million off him as well. I'm not
0: sure they were going to make the same off me at 15. <laughs> <laughs> well, it must, have been, it must have been nice that they were kind of genie-up in that way, but you mentioned there the fact that you were 15, you know, away from home, and I don't think... You know, I don't think enough people realise that or enough young footballers going over think, oh, yeah, you know, I've seen this lad the Premier League. And they don't know the kind of backstory, you know, the stuff that isn't seen on mm-hmm. TV and the stuff that's not seen on social media. Because we all know social media, it's, it's pretty much the best of everyone, if that makes sense. But yeah. re- regarding, like, younger lads going over, I don't think they see the hardship it can be like i've i've moved away i've I've lived abroad and that can be hard i was i was living in australia at 21 and that was hard yeah. like to live even though it's only across the way but at 15 you're only still a boy you're not you're nowhere near you know being a man and at the same time no family now you said that there was lads from ireland over which it digs that must have helped but at the same time you're away from all your friends all your family and mobile phones and stuff like that weren't huge back then, I'm sure. Oh, one, I I can't really remember, but yeah. like there'd be no, there'd be none of this Wi Fi or, or any of that type of stuff back then. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's, and that's the thing. There was,
0: there was no FaceTime or
1: Skype that I could get on to my parents all the time. It was, we had to share the payphone in the, uh, in the digs in the evening. So you might be lucky to get a half an hour on the phone and you'd be looking around the corner. There's people queuing up to speak to their parents in Sweden, Australia. Uh, Ireland, wherever wherever they were from, you know. But uh, as you said, it is it's a, it's a tough game. Look, it's the best job in the world to play football for a living when it's going well. But there's a lot of struggle involved, you know, leaving your family, leaving your friends, and that that comfort blanket. And you know, I was this cocky fifteen year old thinking I'm, I'm going to go over there. I know how to play football. You know, I, I get in the first team before I'm sixteen and change the world. But uh, it's not that easy. It's it's you know, it's a lot of hard graft, and you need a bit of luck. You need people to like you uh, along the way as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, look, it's competitive. Even though there was seven or eight of us Irish lads there, um, it's still ultra competitive. So it's kind of even at that age, it's kind of very hard to separate because we were living in, in the training ground as well. We lived upstairs. So we trained in the daytime, um, whatever, double session. We do our job. So at the time you either do kit, you do the boots or you'd organize the equipment for the first team or whatever, clean down the footballs or whatever. So I remembered like I was doing boots or whatever. So by the time you get up, upstairs to your room at five o'clock, you're, you're kind of done with football. And, you know, if you've had an argument with someone today, you're stuck living with them, you know. So it was kind of, it was, that was kind of hard to kind of get your head round as well from a young age. But, uh, definitely look a, a huge, a, a huge learning curve in, in my formative years and, and one that stood to me because, it's very easy very easy. I can see how people fall off the kind of um the football wagon very quickly because they think, I didn't sign up for this. I, I just want to play football and go home to my family but you know, it's it's not always that easy. And you see a lot of guys go to England and they're the next big thing and a year or two later they're back in Ireland and they might give League of Ireland a go and that mightn't happen. And then before they're nineteen they're they're never seen or heard of again. And it's a lot of waste of talent really, like so you know, we've seen obviously the likes of Kevin Doyle and Shane Long and, and Wes who went away later on and benefited from that. They went in mature, they went in as a first team player and they were able to handle handle the move. But uh, yes, yeah, certainly for me that first year was uh was was hard and difficult, but it stood to me in, in the long term.
0: Yeah, well like you said there about you know uh people going over and coming back. Like, we had Nicky Byrne on, on Instagram live the other day from Westlife. Like, he played for Leeds and he just came back and he hated football. He came back and played for Shells and Cove Ramblers for a little bit and then just said, look, at are packing in. Obviously, went off to, to do amazing things with Westlife. But it just shows that it, it can happen as easy as that, you know? Yeah, well, that, and that's simple as that. And in fairness, he's, it wasn't meant for him,
1: but he's gone on to bigger and better things in a different field, you know? Not everybody is is that lucky, you know? Um, but it just goes to show And I think he was, he was rated quite highly. I think he was a goalkeeper at, at Leeds. And, uh, it's one of these things. He just probably didn't get the break at the right time. And, uh, it was probably a difficult first team to get into at Leeds. He m- might not have had many options when he was leaving England. And yeah, at the time there wasn't, a, there, I spoke to Derek Holland about this recently as well. He was kind of saying at that time in the nineties, there wasn't many players coming from the League of Ireland and going back to England. You know, it wasn't, wasn't really till Kevin Doyle kind of again that that kind of started happening, that people were kind of using as a springboard to kick back onto to something else, you know, abroad or whatever it was. So, um yeah, so it was difficult. And there was probably a lot of talent wasted and lost because of that, because maybe people found it hard to deal with the League of Ireland life. It, it was a physical, could have been a physical league as well, you know.
0: Yeah, I think Jack Burns came out and said that recently. He's just like, you know, I do have tough games when I come back here. People kind of say that the, the League of Ireland isn't, isn't good quality but it is he, he he is always fighting the case for the league to be fair to him yeah and he's spot on I, look I think
1: it's a fantastic product there's great players come out of Ireland great school by players and equally so League of Ireland uh, it's, a, it's a tough league I just think it hasn't probably got the support that it's deserved over the last 25 years you know um, we've had 100%. some great yeah we've had some great quality I, I remember when I played in League of Ireland and I'm going to name out a few now but Derry City Shelburne uh, drawed United for a while, and our, or ourselves at Cork City had had players that could have easily, and t- a team actually could have easily played in League One, lower end of the championship then. But I think as as a league hasn't probably got the support, and that I mean finance support, yeah. and uh, you know it, all that kind of infrastructure. Really, you know the way the GEA get grants, the League of Ireland doesn't get grants, so they don't have their own training ground, they can't build on they don't own their own stadiums, and that has a knock on effect. Then we don't have TV deals, and as I said. You know, previously, Niall Quinn, I think, is a great appointment. I think what's happening in the FAI at the moment is great. We needed a change. There's no doubt about that. And Stephen Kenny, he's got great history in the, in the League of Ireland and the people that he's bringing in, even like from Colin O'Brien, Jim Crawford, Damien Duff, Keith Andrews, Donner They're all very humble people. You know, they, they'll want the best for Irish football. They want to leave a mark. And I think if they're all given time, and I mean this from a football and an admin perspective, I think there's a, a bright future
0: for Irish football. I I couldn't agree more, Roy. To be honest with you, and it's great the fact that you still keep up to up to date with everything regarding what's going on back here. I think that's great, and uh, I think that's again the power of social media. I know we we kind of touched on its negative spot, but it has a positive in terms of you being able to keep up with stuff as well and kind of know what's going on. And as you say, it, it is great that there's been change there, and you know it's been a long, long time coming, but you have to, you have to get it. Unfortunately, the virus is kind of coming at a wrong time because the gate, the gates were up and the, you know, the attendances were up and everything was looking really well for a really good season. You know, we had Rovers and Dundalk had that really good game, the 3-2 early on, and that was yeah. setting up for a really good season, you know, and then this kind of happened. But anyway, um, let's get on to your from Coventry to Cork City and how that kind of happened.
1: Well, look, basically at 18, um, there was a little bit of at the time ITV digital collapsed. That was the big TV deal at the Coventry had been relegated from the premiership. So basically me and along with most of the other Irish lads, uh, 99% of the academy got told, you're, you're, you're available on free transfer, basically, you know, surplus to requirements. And uh, at 18 years old, I kind of, I was kind of hanging, I hung around for a while. I trained there. I said, no, no, I can kind of make this work. I can get back in the picture, but uh, I fought a good fight long enough and had an opportunity, uh, through a friend, a friend of mine, actually, Hossein Yazdani, who was in the U team with me at Coventry, uh, a friend of his, a guy called Paddy Waters, who will forever be indebted to a Dublin lad. He was a scout. He had a good connection and a good contact with Pat Dolan. And Pat Dolan gave me a ring. He wanted to come out and meet the train with Cork City, And they said, Can you come out tomorrow morning and do a bit of training? So I said, Yeah, no bother. So, yeah, so I went back to Cork City, back living with my mum and dad, um, which was great, probably what I needed at the time, uh, but unfortunately, within three weeks, Pat had asked me to sign, but he, he had got the sack, and I like, I like Pat, I loved his energy, actually, but he got the sack, I think he would fallen out with the chairman at the time, and uh, Damien
0: Richardson came came in. Now, when Damien... He, he gives me nightmares as well, shells man. Yeah, there you
1: go, there you go, he just missed the, out in the league a few times, that's right, yeah, but... Uh, but, but, da- like, Damien came in and I'm thinking, cause I'd seen Damien on the television and, uh, he has all the big words. He's got a great vocabulary, but he always, I remember being Sham Grover's manager and he always looked angry. You know, he was always barking orders on the sideline. He, he never looked happy, like, you know, and I know he won a few cups at, at Shelburne and all. And it, anyway, that wasn't in my mind, but I'm thinking, I'm not sure he's going to be the manager for me. And I'm not sure is he really going to get me, like, you know, but. He came in, he asked Jerry Harris, the kit man, and Liam Murphy, who's the director of football. He didn't know nothing about me. And he says, um, they said, oh, we've got a lad in on trial. He's kind of in limbo at the moment. Do you want to keep him or not? And he goes, uh, is he quick? And can he score a goal? And luckily enough, they said, yeah, look, he's very quick. He's obviously unproven at first team level. But uh, anyway, they gave me the thumbs up. And uh, it's it, to be honest with you, it was... It was life changing for me because League of Ireland at that time had just gone professional. There was great hype, especially down in Cork at the time. You had George Callaghan and John Flynn. There was a bit of hype around them. Obviously Kevin Doyle, uh, who would start to hit some real form as well that that year. And um yeah, Damien ended up being a, a great guy for me. Even though we did we did clash, we did clash the odd time, but he had he this brilliant knack of. You know, he could call me an arrogant so-and-so on a Friday night if I wasn't pulling my weight. He'd put, put his arm around me on a Saturday, and he had this thing, kind of thing that, you know, you couldn't help but like him. I thought he was terrific, and uh, he gave attacking players the freedom to go and play their game and impose themselves on the opposition, Um, and that led him down probably at Shelburne. They probably wanted a bit more structure, but it suited us at Cork. We had the structure from Pat Dolan, and they just needed that freedom and attack, so... um. I think I was a little piece of the jigsaw in 2005 that they hadn't a bit a bit of youth, a bit of speed, uh, and along with a lot of very good players. And uh, yeah, my career went from strength to strength, and just over the two years I was there, I played hundred over 100 games for Cork City in a very quick period of time, and um, scored over 40 goals, so a good goals to game ratio. And you know the fans were great there, but as I said, I owe a lot to Damien and the guys, the players there, that they just got around me and.
0: They helped me go from strength to strength, really. And there was obviously a, a huge rivalry between Cork and Shells. That's what I was saying about Nightmares at Damien, because I remember, you know, uh, I used, as a Shells fan going out to talk, I used to hate playing Cork because he always knew that there was going to be a game. And, and Cork had a real good mentality of being able to go away and get a win, you know? Yeah, yeah. Happy days.
1: Uh, I, You probably don't like me very much, so I'm so surprised you took the call today. <laughs> but um, but I, I remember actually really making my name actually against Shelburne because Shelburne were the top team in, in Ireland under under Pat Fan and Collins for a long time. As you spoke previously, Jason Crow or Jason Byrne, Glenn Crowe, Wes, Alan Moore, Owen Harry, like you could the, the list is endless. Top players at the end. Joey and Doe, Jim Crawford. So there's loads. Um and a few different kind of characters like Jim Carr, what's his name? Davy Rogers at the back. But um <laughs> but uh but I remember the for they did a voodoo over Cork City for a long time under Pat Dolan. Pat Dolan just couldn't get over the line and get that league win for Cork City. But they, like, they'd done, done everything but they had a great European run. But Shelburne always had the hoodoo for years over Cork City. So my starting debut, I think, or one of my second game, maybe it was up in Talker Park against Shelburne. So, like, we were a bit psyched up before the game, you know. Now, Damien was quite calm, actually, but the lads, you know, they knew this was a big one. If we were serious about winning the league, you got to get up here, get some points. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of raw to it all. I'm, I'm new. I'm trying to find my feet, but I said to myself, I'm going to get out there today and I'm going to upset some people. I'm going to show them all about. So, um, I upset a few people, mostly Shelburne players. So I upset Owen Harry. I upset Jim Crawford. Uh, and I scored a goal. Now, um, you know, at the time, nobody in Shelburne liked me, but we won the game of Cork City that night, so, you know, it kind of gave me a little bit of um status in Cork. I was a first team player, I'd kinda of put my kind of um mark in the sand as such. But uh I know I know every time we played against Shells they used to try and kick lumps out of me, you know. Whoever it was. I forgot Stewie Byrne as well. He was another great player, but uh but you know, I must say, as as much as we had a rivalry and we hated each other at that time, playing against each other. To like, you know, it's all about winning the league. And um, when we won the league with Cork City, it was, it was outstanding. I really, I'll never forget it. But, uh, I have a great respect for all the lads I played against in the League of Ireland and especially the sales boys. But, uh, I wouldn't have told them that at the time, but right now, course, looking, yeah. yeah, great, great respect. But, uh, whatever, whatever age we could have got that time, whether it was just to be a nuisance and annoy them, especially me,
0: uh, yeah, we were, we were going to use any advantage we could get. Yeah, well, I think at the time it was great for the league, that rivalry because it was two teams that really disliked each other, but at the same time, the standard was going up in the league at the time, do you know what I mean? Because that, that, that rivalry and the dislike, I wouldn't, I don't know if you call it hatred, you basically just said it was disliking, so I'm going to say disliking, uh, <laughs> but that kind of drove the standard up a bit, do you know what I mean? I thought anyway, and I remember going to games, uh, I was only a young fella back then and I used to love it. Like everything about it was brilliant. Yeah, it was great, and it was it was great because we had some great
1: characters in our team. You know, people that could put it put it about a bit, but they could give you a bit back verbally as well. And, and shells were the same. Like shells could play like you, know, as I said, the players they had they could play, but they had a nasty streak as well. And you don't win, you don't win ch- championships without having that nasty streak. They, they certainly had that. But uh, as you said, it, it made for look entertained entertainment for everybody. I thought the league was really on the up then. Um, and then uh, that that year went down to the last game of the season. And I think Shelburne finished third, which was probably their, their worst finish in, in about five years. Uh, and it was between ourselves and Derry. Stephen Kenny was the manager of Derry, who again, he was bringing in some very good young players at the time. You had Rory Higgins, uh, Kevin Derry, and uh, the Derry Pele, Paddy McCourt, who was Brilliant for all League of Ireland fans, no matter where you were from, as well. At that at that time, he was uh, outstanding. So it was just it was exciting to be a part of League of Ireland that time. And I expected it when when I left in two thousand and seven. I expected to go from strength to strength. I was expecting, you know, to really kick on. And unfortunately, obviously, we had the global financial crisis and and all that in two thousand and eight. Professional football really uh, really suffered for a few years after that, but. uh As you said, I think think it's finding its feet again now. It just needs that bit of support and a bit of a leg up and and hopefully it gets it.
0: Yeah, well, you must have enjoyed the time obviously back playing for Cork, it's it's our hometown club. And, uh, you know, winning, I think you won Young Player of the Year, then you won Player of the Year, then the following season, had a decent run in Europe. So were you thinking then, at that point, were you looking to leave or or how did the move then to, to Sunderland happen?
1: Well, it, it was a it was a kind of a case of you don't put your ambition away. So, I hope, as much as I love Cork City, and it, when I first signed there, and I was playing, I was thinking to myself, I could play here for the rest of my life. It really, at that time, it, it wasn't. If I wanted to be a professional, full time footballer, and and you know, look after and provide for my family, and realistically have a chance of playing for Ireland, and and you know, you know, get get a bit of credibility you had to leave, which is an awful shame, really, because I really was invested in the League of Ireland, and I love Cork City, and I still love Cork City. You know, that's that's a part of me. But, um, yeah, it was a case of, really, if you had the ambition to drive all, you, you had to go overseas. And, you know, the more first team games I, I played, and I was involved with the Irish 21s at the time and all, there started to get a bit of hype within the league and within myself when I was 19 years old. So, obviously, that that kind of gives you a kind of... Um, a platform itself and um, yeah I, to be fair Cox City were good, they, they weren't any any rush to sell me or anything they kind of went down to the wire really they kept me for a year longer than what they could have, there, there was a couple of clubs could have signed me in 06 and they were like no no we're, we're comfortable we, we'd like to keep you um, and they wanted to get, give me to sign a new contract but really, probably really wasn't realistic if I wanted to get away because the, the valuation would have went sky high but I think they have done all right out of the deal. I think they got between half a million and a million euro depending on how many parents I went on to play for Sunderland in the end. So I think they done okay that time considering where transfer fees have even gone since then in the League of Ireland. So I hope that again, that's another thing I hope gets better because it's a business at the end of the day. So if we are gonna have talents leave the league and there's plenty of it, they need to be kind of rewarded as well so that the clubs can reinvest it in in better players and infrastructure, you know. That that probably wasn't the case either. I think the money they got from me was probably just reinvested in wages, and they went in won the FBI Cup that year as well. But um, yeah, they, they obviously suffered a couple of years after that, and no force run the football club. Thankfully, you know.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that shows even up until recently with uh, Dundalk and many players, they lost they would lose at the end of a season, and then they'd have to go out and try and find another player. Stephen Kenny, to his credit, was unbelievable at that. You know. Yeah, he always has been. and Look, I suppose the story with
1: Stephen Kenny as well. He done great at Derry. And he's had a few ups and downs, like I saw. But he's learnt his craft. And at Dundalk, they were so unlucky, like with some of the European games, that they, they they didn't just get over that next level. You know, they were they had some outstanding performances and results in Europe and in the League of Ireland. Like they were Dundalk. When I was playing in the league, like they were always kind of like a bit of a yo-yo team. They were in the Premier, but they were down in the, in the, in the first division probably most of the time. So he rebuilt that 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 club really from the ground up, and he brought the best young players through there, and and gave people a, a second chance. And I like Richie Toll and and lads like that really kicked on there and scored plenty of goals. But that was great rivalry as well for League of Ireland Cork City and and uh, John Caulfield yeah. and Stephen Kenny. That was fantastic. That's what you need. You need characters in any league, and it, and I think if you can kind of use that in, in a media sense to kind of to build the brand, um, then the League of Ireland like. Could really do well because there's there's plenty of characters in around League of Ireland.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that might be the case now with with Rovers and Dundalk. Um, that looks like that's going to be the 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 top two for the next while anyway. But um, what was it like knowing that someone who you idolised in Roy Keane was interested in signing you? But did he play a role in the in the transfer getting you over? Did he talk to you or anything, or was it someone else who who came in and spoke to you? No, he did. Uh, he he rang me up out of the blue. I was you to for Fulham at the time um,
1: and he, he rang me up and um, he kind of said could you come down to Jory's in Cork, I'm over for a couple of days, come in have a have a chat with me and see what you think, no no pressure at all, just uh, and it was, I, I went into his room and it was my first time I ever meeting him and he was he was sound, I sat down and had a chat with him uh, and he starts talking football and he kind of wants my feedback on what we all like to play and what I'm all about And, um, you know, my history, you know, what had happened as an academy player into Cork City and all that. So he was, you know, great. And he was funny. It was good to have a chat with him. But the the fact, as soon as he wanted to sign me, uh, there was nowhere else I was going to go, really. He was, you know, he was the man in Cork as well. And he said, look, you you do the business for me. You work hard in training, in the games. uh, I'll give you game time. Um, He said, no promises. You know, I've got a big squad. But, uh, you know, if you show an eagerness and a, a willingness to work, you'll do fine for me. And he, he was true to his word, to be fair. And, um, yeah, so I had to, I had to ring Fulham the next day I had to ring Laurie Sanchez and say, look, I'm going to go to Sunderland. And, uh, he wasn't too happy. He, uh, he called me a few uh, choice words down the phone. So, uh, so, yeah, so I had to say thanks very much. Uh, all the best. i got to Sunderland. And I nearly had to hang up the phone, but he was still swearing
0: at me. So he's one of those. They were just putting it down politely, but um. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but from that kind of point, then you know, you said Roy was true, true to his word. How did you find training under him, and um, you know, what was it like in terms of getting your chance? Yeah, look, it was everything I thought it would be. It was,
1: it was hard work. Uh, every every training session uh, was like a match, and I think a lot of fellows you'd speak to that played from at that time it was like you you would have to earn your place in in the team you had to earn your place in the squad and you had to be at it with Roy you really had to be at it and uh that suited me I, I i love hard work i i love training i love wanting to get better and i'm competitive so um every day in training uh was like a game so it was it was it was kind of mad in a in a way there'd be a few tackles going in as well and you know there'd be there'd be a few kind of um uh, too close for comfort kind of moments like but i think Roy liked that he liked People being on edge because he didn't want people easy, ozy going into match day. But, um, yeah, look, it was great to work for him. I, 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 in my opinion, it was probably a shame that I didn't get to work for him for longer. Um, uh, the first year, I, I played nearly 20 games, you know, not many starts, probably about five starts, but it was great. I was learning a lot. And by the end of that first Premier League season, I felt like, you know, I was really getting some headway. I felt good. I felt better in the games as well. I felt like I was starting to have more of an impact. So when I came back for the following second season, pre-season, I trained all the off-season. I said, I'm not missing my opportunity here. So I was in the gym, I was running, I was doing my ball work and I came back in tip-top shape and we went on a tour to Ireland. I scored a few goals. We played sport in Lisbon. I scored a goal and thinking, this is the year and I'm going to have a good blast. This is the one I'm going to kick on, you know. And about a week before the season, he called me in to the office to say that, um, you know, he doesn't want to get rid of me, but he wants me to go on alone for a little bit because he thinks it'd be good for my kind of progression. Uh, he said, look, I can't promise you game time, if it was similar to last year, it's not good enough for your progression. So he said, go score 10, 15 goals somewhere, come back to me. And, um, you know, you've got a real chance of being a first-team player here and have making an impact. So, you know, he said, you've got a choice of, uh, I think, Nottingham Forest I've been on the phone, Leeds and Dundee United. So I said, look, what, what, what would you think? Like give me some feedback. I didn't really want to go, but give me some feedback. So he said, look, see Nottingham Forest is my club and all. Brilliant, no problem. But he said, Dundee United, Craig Levine has been on the phone all all summer long. He wants you. He wants to build a team around you. Go up there to the SBL, score plenty of goals, and come back to me and, and kick on again, and, and you'll do great. And he, and he he meant it. He was very genuine about it as well. But... um. But yeah, I, I kind of in my in the back of my head, it, it was kind of made up. Like that decision was kind of made up. I wish they had, had probably, you know, because by the time I came back, he he had gone. He he wasn't the manager anymore. So when a new manager comes in, it's kind of different, you know. But I wish probably in the back of my mind that I kind of had dug my heels in and said, No, look, I'll give it till Christmas. I'll give it a good go, and if I'm not getting game time, then I will go on. But I I was probably you know I was a bit raw to it all. You know, young lads, um, just want to play football. And um uh, you know, I'm hungry to play and, and I went up to Dundee United to, to play and I, the best of the best of intentions, but um looking back on it now, probably mentally, I wasn't in the right place. I'd come from the best of the best in the Premier League in terms of facilities and the players I was surrounded by. You know, the people I was competing with for a striking spot at Sunderland was, you know, Andy Cole and, and Dwight Yorks and all, and all this kind of stuff. And then I went up to Dundee United and they didn't have their own training ground and um I think my head was, my head wasn't kind of right. I kind of hadn't gotten around to the fact that I was going on alone and I kind of had a little bit of a, there was a bit of friction there with me and the manager within the first few weeks because he left me out for a cup game and I knocked on his door, um, and kind of said, you know, why you leave me out for? And I can understand why he left me out because I, I probably wasn't invested in at the time. And then we kind of had a, there was a little bit of a standoff then for a few weeks. And, uh, yeah, I just, it just wasn't the, the right move for me and I kind of rushed into it and I regret, but I, I learned. You know, I learned a valuable lesson. I, I, I think in, in the kind of, from my second year at Sunderland, I went on three or four different loan moves and I kind of rushed them. I, I, you know, look, I didn't do my research on the way the, the team played, the style of football they were playing. Um, you know, I, and I kind of just wanted to play so much that I just jumped at things. And that's the kind of advice I'd give to young lads. No, stand back, do a bit of research. Do do they play a style of football? If you're a striker, are they, are they going to create a lot of chances for you? Are you going to have to graft really hard for every little touch of the ball you're going to get? And, uh, I didn't do enough research and, um, you know, I found out the hard way, but you know, it's, it's helped me later on in my career because when I went, when I've, I've made a, made a few moves in my life, my wife will tell you. And, uh, I've done my research though before I went now and I make sure the, the style of football suits me and it suits my personality. And, uh, you know, I've made more right decisions than, than wrong ones since, since the early days.
0: Yeah, but that, as I say, you have to learn one way or another, and uh, at that point, you're only a young fella. At, yeah. at the same time, and people can say whatever they like. I had Richie Towle on the other day, and he said similar. Like you know, at, at Celtic, he knocked on Neil Lennon's door. as says I wanted to go on loan, and you know, he was demanding things, and then just even Neil Lennon had to put him in his place. Like do you know, what I mean, sometimes when you're that age, you do need. You're a bit. I don't think this is the wrong way. You're young and you're probably a bit cocky and arrogant, and you're just kind of like, oh, "Well, I'm better than what's going on here." And he said similar. Um, and sometimes you do need kind of that kick up the arse from a kind of older, wiser head, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, I don't take it as a, an insult at all because
1: I used to get called an arrogant so every Friday night from David Richardson, so I was I was well I was well aware of what I was. But I think that it's a blessing and a curse as well. Look, you need you need confidence in your own ability to go anywhere in anything in life but especially in football it's such a competitive industry it's cutthroat and you need to back yourself you know even when the chips are down you're not playing great or you're not in the team the manager doesn't like you you have to back yourself so um so yeah I look I I look at that as a positive but I think managers would as well as much as they'd give you a, a bollocking for coming into their office and who do you think you are they'd probably they'd probably respect you for doing it as well but uh but yeah as you said I think you learn more you learn more in, in football from the bad days than you do from the good days you know the great days at Cork City when I'm winning leagues and I'm scoring goals and I'm not thinking about much, it was all coming pretty naturally. But you know, you go on a bad loan move or you think yourself, I made the wrong choice here. Or they're playing very kind of direct football and I'm watching the ball over my head more than I'm getting to feet or getting it in the box. And what am I doing? Like Those are the hard days that you learn about yourself and you have to get better at different things. you got to get better at your heading. Your movement has to, has to be better. And uh, you know, you, you learn a hell of a lot and, from the games you lose and, and the bad spells, probably more so than the good ones.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you, and you hear so many people saying that as well. But it is one of those things, you know, to to get better, you have to have not failures, but you kind of know what I mean. You you kind of need the, the setbacks to make it the stronger player, if that makes sense. If you don't have setbacks and everything's rosy, you're just going to think, oh yeah, upgrade, blah blah blah, and carry on like that. And then before you know it, the the rug can be taken from underneath you. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. I think, look, I think
1: with any little failures, whatever you call it, knockbacks, setbacks, uh, you don't learn much about yourself. You don't learn much about the game as well. I think with football, there's so many different ways and styles you can play, um, and you kind of you become a, a bit more of a student of the game when you have to think about it. You know, if you've had it easy all your life and you have played in the best teams, and you just, you know, things are just kinda of happened around you. You never really have to think about, oh what's why is the fullback making that move in the midfielder just just get me the ball. You know, you never have to think about it but when you're not having great days and you're thinking about the style of football, why it's not working, you definitely think about, you know, why it's not working for you and and, and how it would be better for you. And you know, I uh I've become a lot better player probably in the last ten years than I did in the first 10, the first ten years of my career. And I've been talking about from school by football right through now as well there. Um Certainly, the last ten years, I've really kind of fine tuned and and simplified my game. What am I good at? Uh, What wasn't I good at? What can I work on? And uh, just fine tuned it. And you know, the results on the pitch have been better for that as well. You know, I uh, you know fine tune your training, match day. What's important to me? You know, sprinting in the box, getting on the end of things. Miss a chance, doesn't matter. Get the next one. So uh, that's 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 pretty pretty simple formula for me really. And. uh, you know, it's what's worked for me, and I needed a few, you know, setbacks and
0: uh, kicks up the ass along the way to to realise that. You no. Know? Yeah, but as you do in life, to be fair. but kind of talk to me about, you know, leaving Dundee. It obviously wasn't working out, um, and then go back to to Sunderland.
1: What yeah, were yeah. they doing?
0: Because you went back out alone then twice again. Yeah, I went, I went, I went back be, just basically to get out of Dundee
1: United because it, it wasn't, it wasn't a good environment for me at the time. It didn't, didn't work and. Most, to be honest with you, mostly my fault, you know, no qualms about that, it's mostly me, um, but I couldn't see that at the time, but uh, looking back now, it's probably my fault. And I went back to Sunderland, but I knew I was going to be going on loan again, so um, there there was an opportunity to go to Blackpool, we were in the Championship at the time, uh, I knew Wes had been there and done well, um, and they, but they were looking for a right winger at the time, um, but again, I was desperate to play football. I said, yeah, yeah, I'll play in the right wing for you. So I went in and it was going really well. I got in the team, was playing every game, a few man matches and the fans liked me there. And uh, we won a few games. We started moving up the table uh, and I was really enjoying it. But uh, I got a appendicitis. We were about to play Sheffield United and I'll never forget it. I was kind of, we were on the team bus and I kind of felt a bit tired all day and we got to the, uh, the dressing room at uh, Bramall Lane and I was looking at the lads, I'm thinking, is it cold in here, freezing here, but I was sweating as well at the same time, so physio was like, something not right with you here, so just before the warm, he brought me to see their their club doctor, so uh, the club doctor kind of done the test on me, get your pants off, uh, it's my wrist, no, get your pants off, so he done the test on me for, uh, for appendicitis, he was a specialist, luckily enough, and I got rushed to hospital, I had an operation that night uh, to have my appendix out, and that kind of Basically, cur- curtailed the rest of my season. Um, I came back. I was after losing a lot of weight within a couple of months. Played a few games before the end. Of, I started against, I think Swansea, and in the derby against Preston. Uh, Charlie Adam scored the winner. So I don't know, okay, but you know, I was chasing match fitness then. So that was kind of the end of that long. But I, I enjoyed it, and b- before I got kind of sick, it was it was terrific. And they asked me actually Blackpool asked me to go back the following year. Ian Holloway got the job, and they asked me to go back. Uh, in the pre-season, cause Steve Bruce had coming at Sunderland and I was out, I was out of the picture. But I, I, I kind of, I know myself, I can play in the right wing and I'm, I'm decent there. I uh, look a professional up and down and do a job for you. But I've always, you know, backed myself as a, a goal scorer at number nine. And I was going to wait. I kind of was going to be a little bit more patient and wait for that opportunity to
0: arise, you know. So how, how did the rest of that go then? Because. At the end of that season I imagine you're back then at Sunderland, did they assess your loan period or what way does that happen? Yeah, yeah, well
1: yeah, with Steve Bruce had come in and obviously he's seen I was at Blackpool and uh uh Dundee United. Dundee United obviously I uh, I hadn't started the amount of games they would have wanted, hadn't scored as many goals as they would have wanted, and then he's sitting on the Blackpool and he's probably not even looking, there's no appendicitis on the farm or whatever, like it's like just probably wasn't a great season. So, um, you know, I, I came back pre season I Give my best, but they were signing a lot of players. Sunderland was spending a lot of money, big Premier League club. They had the finances and they wanted to to survive in the Premier League and you had the likes of uh, Darren Bent came in the door, I think Gibraltar say. So, that, look, there was big names coming in and it was difficult
0: for me to... Gian. Did Gian sign then? No, that was
1: later on. the year after, but it just goes to show you, Bolo's Then you had big names coming in the door. Jordan Henderson was uh, making headway, so he was... So you had Bola Zenden and, and Jordan Henderson that were going to play on the wings. You had uh, Cece, uh Darren Bent as strikers, and along with a few others, Kevin Jones and these lads were still there. So it was going to be a diff- Big players, though. Yeah, exa- exactly. So, it, look, it was, it, was no, it was no shame in that regard, but I needed to go and stand on my own two feet. I, I found uh, League of Ireland wasn't getting the credibility. They weren't saying, oh, well, he's he played 100 games for, for Cork City, scored 40-odd goals, one league, has been in cup finals, kind of ugh, League of Ireland, kind of thing. You know, that I think there's that el- elitist thing as well regarding Irish football. We do it to ourselves, we shouldn't, you know, because it's, as I said to you earlier, it's a great product. But anyway, long story short, I was going to wait it for my opportunity as a striker. There wasn't many came along, really. Uh, didn't, you know, I, I, I had a chance to got the to Blackpool as a winger, didn't really want I said, I dig my heels in. So, so, so then came, came in for a month, a month's loan. So I said, yeah, I'll go look for months alone. Went down there, scored uh scored my my second game, I think, uh, but it was only four games in a month, scored a goal, went back. And then it was another two months, I was just playing in the reserves at Sunderland. And uh hartlepool got in touch. Um Joe Gamble, who obviously had played with Coxody, Leon McSweeney, Dennis Bean, were at Hartlepool. it was twenty five minutes down the road from my house in Sunderland. Uh they were in League One, they needed a striker and they call me up. Would you be interested? The lads speak highly of you. And, uh, best move I ever made because that got me back in the scene in England. Uh, I went in there, scored a bag of goals. We stayed in League One, achieved our objective, and, uh, it was fantastic. It was, it was, it was, they played a great style of football. Chris Turner was the manager. Joe, obviously, Joe, Dennis, and Leon great buddies of mine. So I all of a sudden had lads to bounce off. There was no, that awkwardness that when you go into a new club, you got, to, you know, find out the the movers and shakers in the dressing room. But so it was great and uh yeah, I really enjoyed it. it really kick me really, it got me going again. And um yeah, as I said, I scored I scored plenty of goals there. Number nine as a striker. And uh yeah, it was it gave me the opportunity and, you know, it, but they they wanted me to re so my contract was coming to an end at Sunderland. people Hart- were saying, look, what's it gonna to take to keep you? And In fairness, they were they were offering really good money for for what they were like. In fairness, uh, and I, I said, look, I'd love to, but again, ambition comes into it. Coventry, who were in the championship, who had history, there's a U team player. I wanted to go there and write some wrongs and prove a few few people wrong. Came One in finished from, business. E- exactly, exactly. So, and I met Eddie Boothroyd, who I thought was outstanding, an impressive guy, oh. and yeah, I, I I signed for Coventry. And, uh, no, looking at it now, that it, it probably wasn't the right move for me. Um, but look, you live and die by your mistakes and, uh, you learn from them. And I definitely, you know, learned along the way again. Um, I think AD had a great time for me as well. I went there and, you know, he really wanted to play two up front and he wanted to play kind of big man, little man and play a really kind of, um, attacking brand of football. But start of the season, I think Lucas was and, uh, Freddie Eastwood and then Marilyn King. Uh, we were top of the league by January. I'd made a couple of appearances off the bench, starting the League Cup game. But he genuinely he, he couldn't get me in the side, and and I don't blame him. He couldn't change the team. He wasn't one for changing. Um, and um, you know, the longer it went on, I kind of I was kind of on the bench. I was I was back up. But he lost his job in the, in the February. Then we we went from top of the league, I think third in the league in in, in nearly late January to. We were, we didn't lo- we didn't win a game for about two and a half months. Um, and he lost his job, which was very sad because everybody liked 80 actually at the club and I, I really liked him myself, even though I hadn't played a lot. I knew I would, I knew I would break in there under him. Uh, but he lost his job and then a the new manager came in after him and they're kind of saying, well, this fella, 80 signed him. He hadn't played a lot. I'm going to do, I'm going to do things like, like so many other, other clubs. They'll throw the baby with the backwater. I'm going to sign my own strikers, my own players. And uh, again, down to Peck and Order again. Uh, and besides, I loaned to Hibs, which was good. Pat Fenlon was there. I went up there, got some match fitness. Uh, I had come come back from an injury. Went up to Hibs. I broke my foot. Went up to Hibs, and I played about uh, eight or nine games. Only started five. Scored a couple of goals up there, um, and it was okay. It was just what I needed really uh, to go back to England. It was always a short-term loan. A couple of months up there, back to England, and Eddie Butcher was on the phone again to come back to um to come back to play, play under him. He said we'll do it right this time. I made a big mistake at Coventry. If I had played you more at Coventry I probably wouldn't have lost my job. Um so that was great. Like he was kinda not many people are whether he meant it or not, I think he did. He's a quite a genuine bloke. He felt I could have offered more. I was a character he should have gotten his team at Coventry and he wanted to write that wrong at Northampton. And I went to Northampton and uh, yeah it was a great spell. great season there. Um you know, I was leaving commentary again. Only scored one goal in the in, in the first team there. I'd only probably started probably 10, 15 games in a couple of years. And, you know, and when I did start games, I played as a winger. I actually played a lot of games as a centre midfielder. I'm not even related to a centre midfielder, but anyway, that's just how it worked out. Um, but anyway, AD wanted me back, went to Northampton, and and I kind of, as again, was perfect for me.
0: Just what I needed at that time. But he was, uh, like, he's a... A big name in English football, like it was. He was. He was the England, or is he the England under twenty one manager now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he was obviously at Watford and a few other clubs as well. So the fact that he really rated it must have been a massive compliment. Uh, it was, for
1: great. Yourself. It was great. was I great. Mean, honestly, what well, as you said, because he, he was a big name, and uh, he had, he done really well at Watford. He had, like he had high raps, Like they, they were talking about him for the England Gafford even then as one of the youngest you know managers around in the Premier League. But uh, I liked I liked the way he went about his business. I liked he wasn't want for change in his style. He you know he he kind of stuck to his kind of squad of fifteen sixteen players. He didn't really rotate too much, which went against me at commentary. But he was kind of saying I made a bit of a mistake there. Come to Northampton and you know we're building something here. And he was true to his word. I went there. I liked the way he worked. You know he got people around him. He you know he, people knew their job with, with AD. And he, had, he had a good positive energy. Good, there was good vibes around the place. And, uh, yeah, that, that season, we had a good side. We, Claire was the captain and myself, uh, Clive Platt and, uh, Akin Fenua up front. So, uh, I was the little one out of, out of those two, obviously. Um, but it was good. I scored plenty of goals. We got to the playoff final. Um, and it was outstanding that first season. Um, and I, I yeah, I loved, I loved playing Andrea, actually. Uh, I, I just, it was, um, it was a shame it didn't work out of Coventry, but I was, I was glad to get an opportunity again at Northampton with him.
0: Yeah, I could tell even by looking at you there, the smile on your face when you, when you bring up his name, it kind of brings a bit of a light to your face. So he obviously had a huge impact on you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. He did. And, uh, I learned a lot. I, I, we had happy days as well. You know, I, I, uh, he,
1: uh, you know, he was always, he was always chipper. You, you lose a game. It was no big deal. We learn from it. We move on. You know, it was always positive. You know, you could do this better. You could do that better. But at the end of the day, we're all, we're all in it together. He did, He hadn't forgotten what it was like to be a football player, you know? I think he, some people, sometimes people go into management and they forget, you know, sometimes it's difficult to be a football player. So you have to kind of, you have to have a little bit of give and take and, you know, kind of be on their side sometimes, you know? And, uh, AD was good at that. He, he was good at getting players on his side and getting them to kind of, um, give him a hundred percent. And he got the best out of people. And, um, he certainly did for me. He gave me a new lease on life there. And I, I, again, I played sometimes on the wing for him, sometimes up front, and I was happy to do that because he was, he was a good bloke. And, um, you know, we, we were striving for things and we were lucky not to get promoted that year. We lost at, in, at Wembley that year. And the following season, uh, I extended my contract, so did he. Uh, we lost, I think his budget got cut, slashed massively. They were building, they were extending the stadium and we lost uh, Clark Carlisle, who was our skipper. Okay, Venwa and uh, Ben Harding are central midfielder So, the spine of our team went and they didn't, they didn't give him the kind of the funds to replace them. And I got injured. I I ended up going for an operation, and I missed most of almost half a season. And but uh, by the time I came back, Eddie was getting the sack. We just the results just weren't happening. And you know it was a shame really. Nobody wanted to see him go again. He was great and. It was just going through a bad spell, but that's what opened the door to go to 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 Asia to Brunei because I know that's where your next question is going to aim at. Uh, I have got a phone call out of the blue from from my next teammate, of mine to, to go there.
0: So, from from your point of view, uh, you're leaving England. You're, mm-hmm. It's not really that you know that well known for an Irish player to go over there, especially at that point in time. So you probably you probably. Made the pathway for for a lot of players to go out that way. What was the what was the thinking behind the move? I know you're about to tell me there that your your mate got onto you, but yeah. at this point, were you were you with your wife at this point, or had you found her?
1: Yeah, we we were, and that's the big thing. I mean, this is the human aspect of football as well. We had just got married, so we played a playoff final at Northampton, got married just in, in that summer back in Cork, and uh, we'd bought a house uh, in in rugby in England. Uh, you know, kind of trying to settle down, do normal family things, have, think about having kids and all. And here's me then, six months down the track, uh, six months into a two year contract in Northampton. And I'm saying, uh, George O'Callaghan just rang me there, all Blue. And he said, Would it be interested in going to Brunei? And she goes, Where, Where's Brunei? And I said, That's what I asked him. Um, and uh, I kind of, because when, when George rang originally, I, I kind of said, Nah, George, I'm only 28. I said, why, why am I going to Brunei I said I, I, look I want to play abroad there's no doubt about that it's always been in my mind but Brunei like why Brunei and, yeah, in fairness to him he, he was he was relentless he didn't stop calling me and, and eventually then we got to talking brass tacks and what's the contract and as I said earlier I was coming back from an injury as well at Northampton so I was just back from having the double hernia surgery and I had an ankle injury and he was saying look the season is starting here in February he said goes February to October he said, is this the end of January transfer window? Go over there, score a bag of goals, and we'll get you back to England, and you can kick on again, fully fit, ready to go in, in October. So I said, yeah, it's a good point. So, um, so yeah, so I made the move, made the move over there. Uh, as I said, that shed, my wife shed a few tears, but she was good as goals. She was, uh, she, she went with the flow, and we moved over there. And Joe Gamble was there as well. He was just signing, uh, who I, Obviously had a great success playing at a cork and Hartley And, uh, I get on with Joe. He's, he's a great lad as well. So, um, he was going there. So that was going to make it a bit more comfortable. Uh, and Steve Keane was the coach there. So it was going to be a British coach. So it was going to be something that, uh, you know, I'd be used to. And, uh, yeah, it worked out really well. I had every intention of going there, coming back to England in October and kicking on because I was in, you know, it was a great age, 28, 29, still relatively young, still all ahead of me. But, you know when when I went over to Asia, and I was scoring goals, and we were traveling around and really enjoying it, and I got to get a bit more kind of balance away from football as well. And it was just it was perfect to live there for an athlete because it was a dry state, so you couldn't drink. So all you could do really is throw yourself into your training. So there was five foreigners: we had some Brazilians, we had um, a couple of Eastern Europeans—a Croatian, a Serbian—at the back. Myself and Joe and uh, Steve Keen is the gaffer. And, uh, it was fantastic. That's Steve Keane that was with, uh, Blackburn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So he oh. was, he was great. He was great. He was really good to talk to. He was a really good coach. And, uh, the nine lads were actually better than I expected. Uh, physically, not huge, but, um, technically very good. You know, they're very jinky, had a great drop of the shoulder and they're sharp. So you mix that with the kind of the foreigners that we brought in. Obviously we had a Serbian defender, Croatian midfielder, tough Joe. Tough, small but tough, uh, and uh, myself and another Brazilian lad up front, um, and yeah, we scored some goals. We enjoyed our football. Steve Arcino wanted us to enjoy our football, and we did. But again, like George was like coming to October. He's like, "I, I do you want to go back to England." Like, there's a there's a few sniffs. Like, you're you're. I twenty sure odd goals. Like, there's a few sniffs. Do you want to go back to England? And he was this full Asian hat on and. I was like, do you know what? I don't really. And I, they offered me another year there as the marquee player to sign off another year. And I, I was thinking about signing. And in between that, George got uh, the general manager role in Malaysia, a team called Saba. And he was saying, come over here, play play for me. I'm the general manager. I get a new gaffer in there. I'm trying to get Keane in. But I don't think Steve Keane wanted to leave Brunei. Uh, so it'll be you and Hajjuf up front uh, and if we can get Joe over there as well. So it was all happening anyway. But I said, no, look, I'm happy in Brunei, but I'll come over and see you. I went over to, to Saba, which is a 20 minute flight because Malaysia it was their biggest rival, Brunei and Saba. But I got photographed at the airport. Um don't know, I don't know, was it a set-up or what anyway? I got photographed at the airport. It was on newspaper in Malaysia. And football is huge over there as well. People in, in Europe or Ireland probably don't know, but. They left 80,000 at their games in some of the games in Malaysia and over that part of the world. Anyway, it was in the newspaper and it gets back to the Crown Prince and the Sultan of Brunei who who owned my team pretty quickly. And it was a little bit embarrassing for them. So they distanced themselves from me. They said, oh, that, that contract is gone now. We don't want you back because that was disrespectful. So then I kind of said to, to George, look, I'm not signing here. Even even though I haven't got a contract in Brunei anymore. And I enjoyed it. I scored 20-odd goals. MVP, all that kind of stuff. And it kind of it got me 30-odd games in a row, which I hadn't had since Cork City. Real a real block of games, leagues and cups. And we had a bit of success. We won a cup over there. And I didn't want to sign then in, in, in Malaysia because it looked like I was angling for a move to Malaysia. So in the end, look, I, I ended up signing. Uh, I had some offers from Australia, but their season wasn't starting for a few months. The Indonesian Super League was starting in the interim. I said, I'll give it a go. And I went over there, and it lasted six weeks. Um, the league got cancelled. There was some government interference in Indonesia, and I was so thankful because it was the longest six weeks of my life. Nobody spoke English. I, the players were just too laid back. Like you know, I'm I'm so driven and and, and ambitious, and I want training to be done right. And we were doing it right in Brunei, and had to go there. It just it was all a bit sloppy, a bit laid back, and no matter what money. You could be put in front of people. I just thought I wasn't. I wouldn't have been happy there. Anyway, long story short, league got cancelled, and it gave me the opportunity to go to Australia, and
0: um, yeah, here, here I am, uh, four and a half years down the track. Well, at that, at that time, had you just had you given up on England? I think I. I think it was on uh, fans' voice uh, TV. You were saying about like the quality. Sometimes you kind of have to weigh it up the quality of living to your football ambition and kind of get the balance. And I, I know from, from traveling myself, I lived in, you know, Canada, uh, America and, and Australia. Now I didn't really like Australia at the time, but I was quite young. But the fact that, as you say, you were at a good age going over there and you're kind of, you have your partner with you. So at that point, you must be thinking, I assume you were 29 at this point because you'd have a couple of yeah. long moves and, yeah. and that are not long moves. Sorry. the couple of moves. Yeah, but yeah. Um, they go, from there, I suppose at that point you were probably thinking, you know, there's there's a good life for me here in Australia. No, I don't know. I'm just I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head. You can let me know, but you must have been thinking, you know, there's a good quality life here. You know, Australia is a beautiful, beautiful country, like.
1: Yeah, no, you're spot on. You nailed it there. Uh, that's what I learned when I moved away from England. And, and you know, in England, and you, you that ambition and drive, and you want to win games, and but it's tough, like you playing if you're keeping yourself fit, which is hard enough in itself, and staying in the team, you're playing fifty odd games a year, which takes its toll on you. And it's you know, it's pissing down and rain most of the year in England, and it's you know by the time you know December comes, the pitches start to rip up and it you know it becomes a bit of a dogfight, especially in the lower leagues as well, you know, Championship, League One, whatever. But uh Australia was perfect for me because as you said, it's a beautiful place. I had Watched it a bit, a bit of their football and the standard of their football, so I rated it like I thought it was good, and it just was perfect. Like you know, I'm financially financially it was fine. You know, you can make a good living here uh, if you if you've got something to offer. But I just think the life work balance. You know, I go train and train hard, ticks all up them boxes. We're trying to achieve something. The standard of football is really really good, a lot higher than people think. You have to be extraordinarily fit. Which suits me because I I like to train hard and, and test myself, but when training finishes and the games finish, it's, a, it's the sun is shining. It's a beautiful place to live. Uh, Ellen gave birth over here, so we had a baby boy who's was born in Australia, and he doesn't know any differently. I don't think he's seen a, a day's rain in his life. So it's uh, in, in that in that in that kind of aspect for us, it's perfect. Perfect age. And You know, I've had a few clubs in, in Australia you now um, as well, but. I have really got a lot of time for for the A League, and and just you know, as Irish players as well, I think we need to you know expand our horizons. Like you know, not England's not the be all end all for everybody either. You know, for all the people that leave and go and want to I want to be playing in the Premier League, it's hard and it's getting harder and harder to to get. I was lucky; I, I made some appearances in the Premier League and had a taste of English football, but not everybody's that lucky. And I think people need to start looking further afield, especially young lads. You know. I'd like to see the National League get stronger and a pathway that they, they go through the, the academies uh, and all the age groups into the League of Ireland team and move on. That'd be great. But, you know, look look outside that. Can can we get players playing in, in, in Belgium, in Spain, in Holland, if they're really technical players, is going to the Championship in England or, or whatever, clubs like that, that play very direct football, is that going to suit a very technical Irish player? So uh, it suits me anyway. Uh, to make a long story short, playing in Australia, they play a good style of football, they're physical, the Aussies are physical, I like the Irish, they get stuck in, they're competitive but uh, the the style of football, there's a lot of international players coming here, you're going to have five foreigners, there's a salary cap, there's a lot of TV money floods in and it makes a really good product and uh, that suited me, the kind of style of football and uh, I've scored plenty of goals over here, I'm still scoring goals and I'm, I'm loving loving life and loving football.
0: Yeah, well, I I went over there in 2012 and I think the marquee player in the league at the time was Brett Emerton, he used to play at Blackburn uh, he mm-hmm. played with Sydney FC and yeah. then you talk there's the, since then there's been, you know, Damien Duff went to Melbourne and Del Piero went to Sydney and there's been players like that, uh, David Villa, he went to Melbourne as well, I think City, Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's really, you know, top class players there, it's kind of similar in a way to the MLS, they, I think they're trying to do something similar there. Yeah, yeah, very, very
1: similar. Very similar, really, that they're trying, they're trying to get the big names. Last year, the, the marquee was uh, Honda, Kazaki Honda, the Japanese. Yeah. Uh, you had obviously Del Piero, Robbie Fowler, Heskey down, down, down the track. But to be fair, like in the last five years, the league has got a lot more physical. So they're not going for the, the, the kind of aging stars as such. They come in with a big price tag and physically probably aren't delivering. The numbers and the stats they used they used to. So the kind of foreign players that are coming in here tend to be a lot younger now. Uh, They mightn't have the the as big names as as the ones I just mentioned, but they they still they're hungry. And as I said, you've got to be fit to play here. So um, the 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 league is really good. It's glossy product, you know, vibrant. There's a lot of media attention on it. Um, But uh, look, it is it's a good it's a good style of football. I mean, the teams I play it for. Here, uh, especially at Newcastle, yes, to play really kind of, you know, attacking football. They want to get the ball down. They want to play when it's on. If not, they turn teams around. Quick wingers. They try and get the ball in the box. They're trying to get the ball behind defenders. Right up my alley, you know. I can be a nuisance to defenders all day. And make my runs and get in the box that other people, um, that a lot of people do all the kind of the donkey workers as such. The wingers, the the overlapping fullbacks, midfielders. The West who lands in this world trying to unlock defences for me, and i take all the glory then with the odd tapping here and
0: there. So, no, so I actually think the first game, I, I, the first A League game, only A League game was Sydney against Newcastle. I think Michael Bridges
1: was playing for them at the time. Yeah, did, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And would, so there uh, you go. Yeah, it was, and yeah, Brett Everton. And was Dwight, was Dwight York playing the city then? I was, that, no, he had he gone back to, he I probably, mean, no, he probably finished it. I think that, he yeah. might have got back to England. Yeah, yeah, maybe, you're right, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, was it, was it a decent game? Like, I mean, I, I think even since then, actually the league has advanced massively. I oh, think- 100%, 100%, yeah, way more. Yeah, but I'd say the crowds were good even then, they was probably full stadiums and that, like.
0: I was lucky, a guy I met was playing football, because over there you can just go to a local park and they'll just have like a drop-in game of football and you would be playing with lads from everywhere, England, Scotland, all these kind of lads who just came over and they'd, they, they made a life over there, do you know what I mean. So we went. One of them took me into his box, and we went to see Sydney against uh, the, the the Jets at the time. I thought it was brilliant. I loved it, like any yeah. sort of football game. I was like, "Yes, get me to it," you know. Yeah, so I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And it, it's I, I
1: my 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 point of view is it's everything that the League of Ireland could be, you know. Yeah. And the difference is a uh, financial backing, and you get to bring in. You know, with that fire, no, I know it's not going to happen overnight for the League of Ireland. And we're talking about building blocks. But like, if you've got a little bit of TV deal, and I'm talking about over here, every club gets about four, four million dollars a year off the TV company. And which means they pay 60 million TV deal every year, 60 million. That's not going to happen in Ireland right now. But if they get some sort of TV deal that pays some bills, you know, it might only be 5%, you know, they start to get some grants from the government that they can get their own training base and maybe start to think about building or buying their own stadiums down the track. Um, you know, that could be a huge future for, and you could, you get better players into the league because of that, you know, the finances go up, you, you get, you know, you become a bit of a draw. But it, it, as I said, there's, there's good people in, in, at play at the moment in, in Ireland. And I think the MLS and, and the A league is everything that they should aspire to be because, uh, We've certainly got the talent as a country coming through. We we always had done. We we've always, uh, you know, had a great history of creating players, and you only have to look at the history of the Premier League to see that. But um our own league, we're quick to knock our own, and uh, every great international team has a very strong national league. And uh, if we're going to be serious moving forward, we need to help our own national
0: league. Yeah, no, I, I think you're 100%. I love the way you speak about the league and how you want it to be better. And obviously with your own experiences, you've seen how this can happen. And and I, you know, I think back to what you first said about the kind of building the blocks, because even back then, the standard wasn't that great. The game I was at, there was a couple of good players there, but it's, it's, it's exceeded all of my expectations now. when I see it and I'm just like, wow, like the, the sponsorship deals, the, the TV days, as you say. Now, obviously, the population is is far smaller here, Mm. so you won't get the money you're speaking of, and I know you're not saying that in an Irish sense. Yeah. But it's, as I say, start off small and work your way up. But it's even just getting the TV, uh, stuff on TV in general. I I mean, I don't see why someone like Sky Sports can't get like Because they do a lot of Irish stuff. They do the GAA. I don't see why they can't get on board and do something with with the League of Oil. I don't know what. Is holding it back. Like we're yeah. not allowed, from our channel point of view, we're not allowed to put any sort of goals or anything up or, or we can be like done for copyright. So we can't yeah. push it out there even to a further audience yeah. um, who might who might only follow us and not say the, the League of Ireland Instagram account or YouTube account. You know, that type of way. So it's tough yeah. trying to, yeah. we're trying to do it, but we can't put any highlights or anything like that and we can only just put like pictures up yeah. if that makes sense. And people are like, know, oh. I mean, That makes sense because
1: People like ourselves are, you know, want the best for it, but you're restricted. You're, you you're trying to help with your hands tied, you know? Uh, and yeah. I think, I, th- I honestly genuinely do think, and I'm not just saying it as a soundbite, I think that is going to change and that, that's going to come very soon. Uh, I know Niall and obviously as, as an ex player, that's fantastic. He knows the game. He knows what's important, you know, for, from grassroots up to senior level football. But also from a commercial side of things, I think he's very tuned in to how, we can make money and tap into the talent that we have in the League of Ireland and help the Irish national team men's and women and um so I think that's that's going to happen but as you said it takes time there is building blocks but even look small things I'm always when there is a game on TV which as you said is all too infrequent when it is on the TV at the game for example that Turner's cross they they kind of fill them from the big stand looking down at Derry and the low the low stand and no matter how good the product is on the pitch it, it, it kind of looks like a conference game and people that, you know, have a basic understanding of football, they're watching it and they're thinking, actually, nah, sure, that's the you know, Sunday League of Ireland. Like it's no level. So and I think it's little fixes to, to help the product in the short term. It's like flipping the camera around, putting it on the Derry stand, looking at the big, the big kind of the main stands uh, at Turner's Cross Bridge as an example. And you're seeing it's a full stand. People love their football. Uh, you know, and it, it just makes it a more appetising product for, for other people to say, Jesus, it's full house there. I'm going to go to the next League of Ireland. I'm going to go to Daily Mount. I'm going to go to Tolke. You know, I'm going to go and watch Sean Grover's play Dundalk, whoever. There's the little steps along the way that need to be done because uh, if it's going to be taken seriously,
0: these little changes need to be, um, you know, put in place. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Market and advertising is huge and social media plays a big part, but I just don't see enough advertisement, in my point of view, like, looking at it, and obviously, I do a lot of work in this industry, and I'm just looking at, like, you look at the Premier League, it's everywhere. If we had something in Ireland where, I know it's not going to be amazing, but if you put, if you put the stuff in front of people, they're going to watch it. Or any football game, they're going to watch it, regardless. Yeah. And the problem is, there's not enough of it, or it's it's very little in regards. Yeah. Now, I know Air sports have tried to ramp up a little bit, and fair play to them, they've tried to really get, you know, some coverage, but, Again, you have to pay a subscription to that, and so not everyone has air sport. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's tough. Which doesn't help. But look, again, the, the paper media in Ireland have always
1: been very good. You know, you, yeah. you get your you outs your pullouts leading into a, a game, and you get some, you get plenty of coverage. You know, uh, the local papers, you know, whatever the Herald in uh, Dublin, the Echo in Cork, and, and and right around the country, you get that local support, and people people know. But the people that go to the games, they're like a steadfast. League of Ireland supporter you know you've got your solid base but like as a, as a nation we love our sport we love our football and, and rugby was probably a prime example rugby in the early 2000s when it went professional uh, there, there wasn't many people going to Cork to con games or whatever like it was similar to League of Ireland in that regard but then it became Munster, Leinster, Ulster, Connacht this Heineken Cup became like the Champions League they're playing at packed out stadiums people everyone's a monster fan you know especially you know, everyone's a monster fan all of a sudden they love their rugby like so I think that the League of Ireland we love our sport we love our football everyone's a Man United, Liverpool, Celtic fan whatever it is we've got to get them into League of Ireland grounds and as you said it comes with the media stuff but it comes with a little little bit of support as well highlights on social media uh, coverage ga- coverage of games you know little um, clippets and um, you know, little packages for on Instagram or whoever the best players at the moment, Jack Byrne, whoever's scoring the goals in the League of Burning, whoever it is, you need the hype machine going, similar to what the Premier League has, but um as I said, hopefully no better no better boy than, than Niall Quinn, hopefully to, to get things motoring and and you know, loosen a few restrictions.
0: Yeah, well, that's it, because I was at a Q&A up there at the dock. They were doing an exhibition on the Irish football history. It was to do with the Euros, and Noel was up on stage saying he was trying to get something sort of with Virgin Media and stuff like that, and the stuff's pending in the back of it. I don't know what's going to happen now because of the virus, but we'll wait and see what happens. But kind of just to kind of finish off with your, with your career, you had the moves in Australia, so you were at uh, Central Coast Mariners. How was yeah. the time there, and then leading into your time at Brisbane, uh, sorry, the Jets, Brisbane, and then back to the Jets. And then I want to talk to you about your bromance with uh, Mr Houlihan oh, yeah. at the end. Well, uh, look, obviously,
1: when I came over here, it was a case Ellen, Ellen uh, was pregnant. So um, it was a case It there was a contract at Central Coast Mariners. Look, again, it wasn't huge money really coming in the door, but it was fine. It was entry-level kind of stuff uh, for a foreign player. And I said, all right, I'll give it, I'll give it a go. They weren't, they're not the biggest club in the A-League. They weren't the biggest, definitely weren't the biggest spending club. Uh, but I came in for two years and, uh, hit the ground running. Uh, uh, I scored, I think 20, 20 goals for, for the Mariners in, in, in 40 games. Uh, and then, you know, uh, in, in between all that, I, I had a couple of suspensions here and there. I never lost that, that kind of edge. Um, and, you know, I, I, had my ups and downs in Australia as well as had it in England, but uh, I had a, an opportunity then at the end of my contract to go to Newcastle Jets, who would be the biggest rivals of Central Coast Mariners. It was a, a big no-no. But, you know, they they offered me a good deal. They were trying to have a go at winning the competition, which I knew the Mariners weren't trying to do. And they really wanted me. So, um, yeah, I went up, up the motorway. Uh, it's about 45 minutes up the motorway, signed for the nearest rivals. Um and my first game back, uh, as fate would have it, was against the Central Coast Mariners at their place, uh full stadium. They unfurled a big a big flag for the game of of my a big, I swear, about fifty foot banner of my head on a snake for, for going to the nearest rivals. And uh I scored a hat trick in the in the first twenty eight minutes of the game just to kind of shut them up a little bit. So uh <laughs> I, I endeared myself to my new fans on my debut. And, uh, yeah, I'm one of the all-time top goal scorers for, for Newcastle Jets. But, yeah, come to the end of uh, at the contract last year, I, two years, uh, scored plenty of goals. Um And, again, we got to a grand final. We just missed out and win the league. Uh, so we had some success as well. Uh, they only offered me a one-year extension rather than the two years I was looking for. And it kind of got a bit, you know, one of these things. It kind of got a bit awkward and in the end the one-year contract became a no-year contract we kind of fell out it went on about 12 13 weeks I wanted this I wanted an option of a second year which I think was in my right I didn't know what score goals for them and um again it just wasn't there they said financially they couldn't do this couldn't do that so Brisbane Brisbane Roar came in who would be one of the bigger clubs in, in Australia Robbie Fowler was obviously a big draw uh, and he was trying to rebuild as well so he was trying to I was going to be the main player coming in the door obviously with the marquee name coming in for them in the A-League and they signed another uh, 12 or 13 players so it was a big rebuild um, and look I, I enjoyed it it's a good club I got to live in the Gold Coast for a little while and um, yeah it just you know I talk i' because again I come back to i done my research on people before I sign in the clubs and Brisbane Roar Roberts a team that played a really vibrant style of football. They're they're all about imposing themselves on the opposition and, and you know hurting the opposition, trying to score goals. Attractive football. And uh, they were called Roar Salona at one stage. You know that's the, you know they, that's the kind of football they were trying to play. So I was delighted. I'll be the number nine in that. Get plenty of chances. But Robbie coming in Brisbane Roar, the previous season had conceded a lot of goals. He wanted to make them really structured and defensive. I'm thinking signing for Robbie Fowler. He was the most instinctive natural goal scorer of his generation. I'm thinking this is gonna be right up my alley here. I'm gonna get loads of chances and it's gonna be just just getting the box, do my thing, like you know. But it it became I kinda of, so structured. We ended up like a lot of the times we were playing five at the back. Uh I was kind of a low ended up being a lone striker. They were, uh kind of you know, kind of quite defensive and then even at as that striker I was kinda of finding he wanted me to kind of show up for every ball and drop in as a number ten and you know, I've never been in number 10, but, you know, I can drop in, hold the ball up here and there and get involved in the play like any striker. But most of the time, when that ball goes wide or a midfielder gets his head up, I want to run behind. And I don't think Robbie really, the way he wanted to play, the style, wanted to risk possession at all. And it just didn't suit the way I wanted to play because I'm quick. I want to get behind and I want to get in the end of things in the box. And mid or through the season, I'd scored seven goals in 11 games. So I was, I'm i still the top scorer now, even though I haven't played a game in months for them. Uh, it just wasn't right. The, the energy wasn't right. Uh, and I had an opportunity to come back to Newcastle Jets, who, as I said, I didn't want to leave originally. And, uh, yeah, I'm delighted I came back here. Where's Hulahan? Was here. Joe Ledley was just coming, coming in. New manager in Carl Robinson. So there was a couple of things as well happen at Newcastle Jets. Fans like me here. So yeah, I've, I've come back here. We, it's been great. We've been winning games. Again, I've been scoring goals and I've, got to kind of link up with Wes which I've been wanting to do since he was at uh, Shelburne back in the day so it's been great um, uh, you know we've been winning it. the only downfall is this, this COVID-19 and that's the same for everyone but uh, yeah so uh, as I said before you asked me I get to 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 train and play with Wes every day and we're, we're keeping fit every day uh, and he's the same now as he was at Shelburne he wants to win everything he's competitive whether we're playing tennis on the bikes doing our little bit of a uh, Football training, he wants to win head tennis. So, uh, yeah, he's been, he's been great and he's, he's a good lad as well. He's very humble for all his achievements, very humble and he's the, he's, he's down to work and a good
0: lad. So, did you ever talk about the old rivalry with Cork and Shells? Does that come up a lot? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up to him at the very start
1: because I've, my, my, my go-to tactic on the right wing against Wales on the left for Shells and Paddy McCourt on the left for, for Derry. The, and Kifahi probably for Pats as well. Ooh, my kind of sign of respect was I'll kick him early on, try and put him in the stand early on and see how they, how they like it. You know, that was my kind of way of getting my own, imposing myself on the game back in the day. But, uh, I, he's good as goal, actually. He, it was great. We, we've got a good r- relationship and we just t- actually talk about the old days back in, back in League of Ireland, the players, the characters that play. And, uh, it was good times for both of us. He, he tells me actually, because he was in the League of Ireland before me, Dermot Keeley, before Pat Fedlin and, and some of the players when he started Tony Sheridan, he was telling me how good he was at, at oh, Sheridan yeah. when he first, when he first broke through and just some of the characters that, that, that were there at the time. But, um, as I said, yeah, look, good times. And I think we both had a very positive experience in the League of Ireland. And, you know, we're both of the same ilk and thinking that the League of Ireland should be well ahead of where it is right now, you know, just, as I said, on the pitch, the quality is there, and uh, the likes of Jack Byrne, back in League of Byrne doing well, Sean has done dog There's no doubt about the quality on the pitch, but I, I mean, as a, as a league and as a brand, it should be way ahead of, of where it is right now. But, um, but yeah, we've, we've got a bit, we have a bit of crack. He gives me a bit of stick about the clashes I had with all his teammates. He, he, I think he did a, a black, a black book of lists of names are going through. Did you ever have a phone that with X, Y, Z along the way? So. I guess yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Every single one of them. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But that was, that was, that was a happy day.
0: Yeah, well, uh, and I also see the user were playing tennis there the other week and he cracked you in the hair with that tennis ball. That yeah, payback, payback, you know what I mean? So he says he doesn't resent what happens us
1: Cork City winning the league in 05, but he obviously does. He obviously does, you know. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: listen, um, it's great to hear that you, you're enjoying just life in general, because obviously you get your ups and downs in England and stuff like that. And yeah. you know, it seems like you're enjoying a quality way of life in Australia. Do you see your future pretty much in Australia now, or what were you thinking?
1: Yeah, I do. I do really. I I, I
0: feel like we've we've made a life here. The, the
1: football side of things, it's it's been great for us, and we like the lifestyle. But uh, I just, in football, you never know. Really, you, you can never. I, I you know, I've learned that along the way. You can never make plans too far in advance, because you know they end up changing pretty quickly. It depends on what I do you know moving on after football and what have you but um, at the moment I'm quite confident in saying that I'll be here for a while yet Uh I enjoy living in Australia we've made it home I think Alfie my young lad's going to go to school here in the new year and all that kind of stuff and uh, yeah I'm, I'm you know I've got years left of me football wise I'm feeling good and feeling strong so yeah I don't feel like going anywhere too soon.
0: Excellent stuff well listen I've kept you for nearly an hour and a half, but I've enjoyed every single minute of it. It's been fantastic. Thanks very much for for coming on the show with us, Roy.
1: Cheers, Paul. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you.